And what I'm doing, guys, I'm, I'm recording what we are in traction today also on iTunes so that you guys can listen to it later on. So, back to tuning. I got tired of people expiring my engine and not understanding the concept of carburation at the time, which I had because we didn't have access to what all of you have now with fuel injection, engine management, and all that good stuff. And when I got tired of people blowing up my engines, I had to take matters into my own hands. It couldn't have been difficult. I was an engineering student. How hard could it be? And I paid attention and a lot of trial and error. Then I started getting a hang of it, hang of it, understanding the concepts very well, and doing extremely well with tuning. And even doing experiments in lab at school that almost got me kicked out of school, which is pretty crazy, but I learned tremendously with it. And it made me a better tuner, a better racer, and you name it. It was absolutely fantastic. So that being said, Greens Brazil, thanks for joining us. That allowed me an opportunity to do that, a lot of trying and error. Um, what was the second question, Ari? Second question is, what would you say is your fundamental base of knowledge? So my base of knowledge was really experimentation and learning. I did, at the time, have people to look up to. So I went to a shop that was St. Andrews in Orange County, and I picked up this book, which is known as the Honda Performance Handbook. And that book talked a lot about the D-Series engine I was playing with then. And I remember the guys from Mugen had a 180-horsepower engine, then 210. I was like, oh, my God. Well, we exceeded that years later, so it was really, really great. And um, that was really where I got the opportunity to explore with that. Then I read Smokey Unix's book, and I read David Bazard's book, and... The other result is how to build horsepower, volume one and two. And that gave me a very good basis on, on tuning concepts and incorporating that with my experience made me a great tuner. Fast forward to today. We have access to great engine management systems from Honda to K-Tuner to AEM, um, you know, to Link, you name it. But you know what? Having grounded myself in the mechanical concepts of carburation made me a better, a much better injection tuner. So when you snap open the throttle quickly and air rushes into the engine and then fuel doesn't follow it, so you get that, that surge, I understand that. I understand you have to pump nozzle and effect, pump in fuel to catch up with the air that opened up quickly. Um, hence, excel fuel. So I understand the physical concept of that. I know how to make it very smooth. That's why most people, when they come to a Citroen, their cars feel so awesome because we... I understand the concepts. I do all the tuning here. I don't have anyone else do it. Ari would love to tune, but I don't let her. I don't tune it here. This is great. So, but nonetheless, you know, it, it's, it's fantastic. And that's how I, I learned. So I hope that helps and answers your question properly. Yes, Ari. Next question is from Instalot. Instalot. Do you have an idol? And if so, who and why? Wow, that's a great question. Um... My ideal idol would be a combination of many people, but um, I would really say that I admire Richard Branson very much. I actually follow him on my Instagram feed. He is the owner and founder of Virgin, and he has 400 companies under his leadership, this conglomerate of Virgin-style um, service and technology industries, and he's just a great guy. He overcame so many challenges uh, with dyslexia, with a background that wasn't very financially stable and became this very successful daredevil, go at it, you know, just think about it later kind of guy. And I admire those things because, you know, even though I, I don't suffer from dyslexia, there are other challenges that I overcome being here in the United States, and I'm able to overcome them and stay focused. I admire that he is a trendsetter and thinks out of the box, things that I love to do as well. Um, many of us have idols, and we all try to emulate the people we idolize, which is really great. Uh, so I really admire what he, he does, and also, a fellow African, Elon Musk, um, even though he's not from West Africa where I'm from, he's from South Africa, he's done wonderful things. This is someone who was successful with PayPal 
and then took all the resources he got from selling that and put it into a new company. So now he has SpaceX and he has Tesla and he has all these great organizations and he continues to look for ways to improve the quality of life of people, which is really, really great. So, hello, Seth. Good to see you. He does know how to party, absolutely. <laughs> so that being said, um, I would say a combination of Elon Musk and also uh, Richard Branson, but Richard Branson for sure. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Anyway, so I hope that answers your question properly. Okay, what else do we have, right? CT Racer wants to know. CT Racer, Alfie. Hello, Alfie. What's the fastest you have ever driven? Okay, so I guess that's in speed. So unofficially, you're like about 230. Um, officially, trapped is 187. So that's the fastest I've been. Um, would I like to play around with that more? Yes, I would, but you know, I have kids now, and my wife doesn't like me traveling like crazy. But anyway, so we have a lot of fun. So I hope that answers your question, Alfie. And thanks for joining us. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Insta. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, we have a question from, I'm going to bear with you with the name. No worries. Martin D. Girls Dem Plantain. Martin D. Dems Go Plantain. <laughs> hey, Papa, good to see you. Can you do Thank okay. you for How's the Civic SI going? Okay, it depends on which SI you're talking about. So if you're talking about the one we built for corporate Honda in 20, 2011, it's still over there. So we're putting a new, we're testing a new clutch for our friends from Action. And great guys, very forward-thinking, and they have this new twin-disc application with some exotic friction materials they want to test. So it's already installed, and I need to do some adjustments to the pedal and play around with the gearbox a little bit, do some adjustments there with the equipped gearbox, sequential, and then we'll go out testing again. If you're talking about the Civic that we got from corporate Honda, recently, I think about a month and a half ago, it's already back with Honda. It was with us for three weeks. I experienced a lot with that new 2018 Civic. Yeah, with a 1.5 liter turbo, it's a great engine. Great job they did with Earth Dreams. We were able to play with that a bit and get it from 180 horsepower with about the same amount of torque to about 206 horsepower to the wheels and 260 foot-pounds of torque without opening the engine at all. It's fantastic. So I like that engine so much, I am going to buy one of those and bring here and play around with it. So I'm pretty excited about that. You know? Oh, it's in Patois. Okay, I understand. The girl's plantain. I get it now. I get it. I get it. We speak a little bit of Patois back home as well, so that's, that's really cool. Okay, so thank you. I asked you a question early, so I hope that helps out. Um, my opinions on the future of motoring and tuning, especially the new style of engines, turn to batteries. How are we going to tune that? Zephyr, very easily. There are companies, and we're starting to develop relationships with those companies because we have a lot of ties to OEMs. And with uh, our interaction with the guys from FCA, we're able to meet this one company in particular, a tech company. And the guys, the owner of this tech company started out in tuning. Just like we, we have been doing. In internal engine, combustion engine tuning. And he has this company up north in the Bay Area. And his whole premise is to build the platform for electric vehicles. So, you know you have Windows platform for so many different ECUs? He wants to build the operating system, base operating system that all manufacturers would use that's very uniform for electric cars. And as a builder, he will have an open source opportunity, well, of course with fail-safes in place, to allow tuners to be able to tune those properly. So, to ask your question, we will have the capability of building and tuning and modifying electric vehicles, which is great. In autonomous you know, opportunities, you will be quite restricted, but where the customer or the client is driving the car itself, you have full autonomy there, for lack of a better word. And the great thing about that as well is that if you think about electric motors, it has so many advantages over internal combustion engines. Now, if you take the sound out of the equation, which we all love, the fact that you can have immediate torque of one RPM is a bane for horsepower and speed. It's wonderful. 
fewer moving parts. You don't have to worry about blowing motors, blowing gaskets, or any of that stuff. So for us tuners, many of us, if we want to stay relevant, we have to embrace that technology. Those shops or builders or tuners who will not embrace the new technology will fall by the wayside. There will be just so many tuners and builders that can embrace will then be known as old school or vintage. We have to continue with the times. Imagine if we only played with horses and buggies back in the day and the automobile came. Where are those companies now? We have to embrace it, and it is a good thing. It's cleaner, it's more powerful, it's more controllable, and instead of internal combustion engines that start off with low torque and build up to peak and fall off, you can have immediate peak torque at one RPM and address it anyhow you want. I love it. I'm excited about it. I embrace technology. I embrace the future. I love the sound and smell of internal combustion engines. I love combining internal combustion engines with EV technology, but I have no problem with EVs being the future of race cars, you know. You never know. You never know, AJ. Uh, of course. Talk about, you know, talk about burnouts, drifting, speed, safety, regeneration. There's so many opportunities there. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I have thought of a way, which I need to incorporate in one of my bills coming up soon. I've thought of a way of giving these EV cars a soul because that's the biggest complaint people have are EVs having a soul. I've thought of a way to give it a soul towards a natural opportunity, which is great. So that being said... Stay tuned. Great things are coming. Great things are coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a little It'll be pretty, pretty sick. Okay. Yes, sir. You have another question from Fox Design. Fox Design. Hopefully, you're still here. He wants to know how the SEMA builds are coming along. Okay, kicking my butt. <laughs> so it's like we're adding SEMA builds every month now. So I think at this point, we're at count five. So there's one that's extremely important right now. That's is right beside me, but I cannot show it to you guys. It, it, it's very secretive. Um, so that's coming on very nicely. Um, my team is doing a great job knocking things off. Sam, you were here earlier. Sam is like taking care of a cage on one of the Porsches that we're getting together as well. Um, very, very kind of fabricator. Um, it's coming along very slowly. It's tough. My partner's are sending components in. It's really, really good. You know, it's, it's great. We're having a great time. So it's coming slowly. At this point, we have five so far. Um, one domestic offering, one Japanese offering, and three German offerings. So that's what we have so far. Thanks for submitting that question. Appreciate that. Yeah, Russ, I'll be more than happy to help you with the uh, 3.2 Carrera. Feel free to write in. Towards the sales at bcmo.com, and as long as you have a little bit of time to wait, because we have a crazy project that's taking all our time, uh, if you don't have a very tight deadline, we can definitely take care of you. you know. um, one of the most underrated cars with high potential, I would say right now, is the 996 Twin Turbo Porsche. It is the most underrated supercar that exists. You can get those from... Depending on how you look, from low 30s to mid 40s, and it offers so much car all wheel drive, twin turbo, an engine that can handle 700 horsepower with no qualm, a gearbox that can handle 1,000 horsepower with no qualm, um, you know, classic looks that look really good and may have those headlights that some people don't like, but I kind of like it. The interior is vastly superior than the base Carrera C2 or C4, and it's just a really cool car, especially if you find any clean examples. So, we have one right here we're building for a customer where we upgraded turbos um, from the standard KKK units to some Turbinex TNXs, upgraded the intercoolers and, and upgraded the management system as well. So it's a perfect off-road vehicle. That is the most underrated car that I have seen so far. So much potential. People don't catch on to them yet. They're really, really, really cool. So, yes, sorry. I was giving the link. She has so many questions. And we are, wow, we're almost halfway there. Okay, yes. Brent F. Brent F. Hopefully you're here, Brent. 
He wants to know what's your personal favorite car that you guys have built. Personal favorite is the one that kicked my butt as much. This Odyssey right there. That thing is was it's really a favorite car for me because it keeps giving back and we had to do it in seven weeks and it was a lot of work and it was very difficult. But my most favorite to drive is the one that you guys can see here is the Sanity Porsche mid-engine car, twin turbo. Extremely balanced, very driver-centric. It really epitomizes what a driver should experience on the track. It's how every car should have been built, every race car should be built. You're sitting in the middle, the engine's in the middle. It's so balanced, so forgiving. It's like a go-kart on steroids. It's fantastic. So that is how, that is what's my favorite cars. Build, drive. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. Of course I do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Q&A's on YouTube. You know, that's a good idea. Faster, I would definitely explore that. I think it's a smashing idea. He said we should do some Q&A stuff on YouTube Live, which would be great. great. So that would be a bad idea, you know. So, um, uh, Mustangs. Yeah, I like Mustangs, but it's just that Ford is a little difficult to work with. <laughs> hey, Chris. Good to see you. Good to see you. Sounds good. The one car I regret selling. Oh, man. My Wago van. The blue Wago van that made 724 horsepower. The one that... Pretty much put me on a map when it came to turbocharging. It was my first in-house turbocharging project. Became extremely popular. Um, it's probably the most hated car that I experienced. You know, in terms of the Honda scene and people hating it so much because it just made so much power, so awesome. It's also a car that people try to steal so much, so it made me uncomfortable, and that's why I got rid of it. But I miss her very much. I really regret selling her. I should have probably kept her in my garage or the back of the house somewhere and covered it instead of just you know piecing it out. I just felt that people could enjoy the car as a whole or in pieces. So a little bit of her is everywhere and hopefully people are enjoying her out there. But uh, don't be surprised if I build a replacement. Don't be surprised. I miss that car very much. Yes, sorry. We have another question from Martin. Martin! What was your most difficult trial that brought you to where you are now with tuning and builds? So the most difficult trial that brought me to where I am today with tuning and builds is my experimentation. So... Unlike most students, even today, I didn't cheapen out on components. So I would save up and get the right components for my bills, even as a student. Whether it took me two weeks or two years to save up for a component, I would buy the right MSD box. I would get the right induction for it. I would get the right pistons. I saved up to do it right. Now, it was very difficult for me to do that, but what happened because of that? If I blow something up, if I hurt something, which happened a lot, it was very painful and very difficult to recover from. But I didn't give up. So what does that mean? Here I'm a student, um, working part-time, going to school full-time, trying to make ends meet, doing the industry racing, which is very naughty. And we didn't have what you have today. You guys have no idea how lucky you are today that you can easily go online, um, talk to people like myself, know what parts to get. There are catalogs out there. There's so much information on... On, on the internet, there's so much opportunities with different retailers. You can just buy a product. When we started in this scene, there was no such thing. You had to create your own products. So the best we could do is talk to maybe some VA guys and get some insight on what they do to their cars and try to apply that technology to our sport compact vehicles and German vehicles. It was very, very difficult, but many a time that resulted in some kind of catastrophic failure. I remember I used to say this quite a bit, but at that time, 20% of my experiments worked, and the 80% of them failed and failed badly. That has actually reversed now towards like 90-10, to about 90% of the, what I do, based on experience, is successful, and 10% we still experience some failure with experimentation. So as a student who had limited resources, 
you know how difficult it was to recover from that. It was very, very hard to do that. So that being said, it was tough. So that's one of the challenges, the main challenge that I had overcome was the lack of power support, creating things, experimenting, blowing things up, and learning from it. One that really hurt me a lot was dropping vows. I used to mill my heads like 80 to 100 thou, and I will drop a vow. And that wasn't fun. And I will fix it and do another vow job and drop a vow again. Until I understood the importance of pissing the valve clearance and checking it. Until I understood the importance of valve train dynamics and being able to control valve train action. So it took me literally months to figure that out. I couldn't understand why if I went up a little bit in RPM, I'd drop a valve. Because there was no one to talk to. There were no books to go to. The people who were hot riding then had push rods. And they didn't know what I was talking about. It was just given. So I had experienced that the hard way. And then learned from that. And then have my own piston about clearances that work for me, which I still use to today, which is very good. You know. Oh, that's very good, Warhol. Don't give up. It, it, it's good for us to educate each other and be able to help each other. And that's why I'm here to help all of you as well. I want to be able to use this forum, this opportunity, to provide insight to my experiences so you all can benefit, so you all can learn. You know. Yes, Ami? Nothing but cookies has a couple Nothing but cookies. Hopefully you're here watching us as well today. He has a couple questions regarding piston coding. Okay, sure. He says, I know you've done it, dove into the topic in previous episodes, but just to elaborate a little, what's their life their, their lifespan like? Decoded parts need recoding often, and to carry on from last week, when choosing a piston, do you try to keep it as flat as possible to ensure minimum flame travel, or can some shapes actually be beneficial? Okay, I'm going to answer your questions in the order posed. In terms of coatings, they can uh, last for the life of the engine. Um, those coatings, typically one done well, are chemically bonded to the crown, especially the ceramic-based coatings that help keep the heat of combustion where they belong in the combustion chamber and not absorbed by the piston itself or by cinders. Um, then the molly coating on the skirt is also chemically adhered to the piston as well, so it should not. Now, if you have any challenges with, let's say, friction, significant friction between the cinder itself and the piston, of course, your molly will roll away. If you run your engine too lean, or with too much ignition timing, you will erode the crown of the piston just by sheer physics. And what will happen then is that the coatings will come off, come off. So that being said, with a proper tune and without any challenges with friction, your coating should last you and provide the efficiency and effectiveness for the life of the engine. Now, with your second question around, what was the second question around, Ari? Uh, do coated parts need coat recoding on No, they don't. And to carry on from last week, when choosing a piston... Oh, when choosing a piston, okay. So what I typically do, flat tops are not necessarily the best in terms of flame propagation. The best piston dome design is one that mimics the combustion chamber perfectly. So if you have a combustion chamber and you have a dome and it mimics it perfectly, perfectly, you can imagine when the flame propagation begins with combustion, the efficiency, the burn is very even all across. And what you can see is a nice, clean pattern across the crown of the piston. Whenever you see dark spots, those are areas where burn is not complete, which means those areas should come up quite a bit. If you have areas where it's really, really, really light, that means it's too close, and the burn is too hot in that area, and it should come down. That's why you'll see some great companies who know what they're doing. Companies like Tron Pistons, when they have a peak dome or high, high peak max compression, they have a slight cut on the top of the piston to allow for proper flame propagation without hurting the efficiency. So that's great. Yeah? Uh, oh, thank you so much, Paul, for the kind words. Um, my opinions of the Vitara pistons, what uh, Joab de Vera is asking, I don't like them at all. So, and I'll tell you why I don't like them. 
It is, the retired prison one he's talking about is something that uh, most D-series guys use as a budget build for the D-series, which in the long term is not really a budget build because when things go awry, they go awry badly. There are cast pistons, which were made for Suzuki Vertara. And years ago, someone came up with the concept that made it very clear, very, very popular that the compression height is very close to that of a D-series. It's not very close. Actually, the pistons sit in the bore a little bit, so you actually lose a lot of efficiency there. But they felt it was a very cheap, cost-effective way to put pistons for low compression for turbocharging in a D-series. Here's the challenge. They are cast pistons. When you do run them, when they do go out, and they do go out, when ring lines break, when the pistons disintegrate, they don't just decay like a forged piston. They just melt like a forged piston. Or If you have a problem, what happens, the pistons disintegrate. And when they disintegrate, they take everything with them. The valve train, the turbo you're running, the effect other cylinders. So in your quest to save a few bucks with getting cast pistons put in your engine, when they do go out, and they do after a while, it kills your turbo, your head, your valve, your intake. It, it, it destroys everything. So now you've killed your turbo, you mess up all your valves, your seats are bad. It's, it's not good. So I encourage everyone, same thing I just, you know, living by example, I encourage everyone to do what I did when I was in school, even as a poor student. Save up, get a good set of forged pistons. So God forbid something happens, the pistons will just decay and not disintegrate and destroy your whole engine. You've seen pistons where people maybe melted a piston because of a bad injector or something happened with a tune. You just maybe torch the piston and that's it. With Vataras, they just crumble and take out everything. You won't be able to use that turbo again. Your valves are messed up. Your valve seats are, are beat up. So you have to change your valve seats, get another head possibly. When that happens and debris gets into it, you can break your camshaft. There's so many things that go wrong. It's just not ideal. They explode. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that being said, that's the way to go. Okay, so, yes, Ari. We have a question from Christian Alarico. Christian Alarico. What would be the process of building an NA D16Z6? Okay. I have some ITBs I'm working on fitting right. to the engine, okay. but what's the best cam, pistons, and compression? So it depends on what your goal is. If, you, if this something that's a street-faring vehicle, and you have your fuel would be your limitation, and you have access to 91, you can do 12 to 1 with a decent-sized cam, like a BCMO level 3. If you have access to... E85 or it's off-road use only. You definitely want to go higher compression. You go 13, 13 and a half, 14 to 1, and you use a beast motor level X. That is the way to go. It depends on what you're doing with the car, and that would dictate what you tend to use. One thing not to get caught up on too much is the static compression because you can bleed off that static compression dynamically by using large camshafts, and we have all the profiles done for you. One thing I'll give you as advice is Please, please, please use appropriate size ITBs. Some people tend to say, oh, you need small ITBs. We just had a customer come in not too long ago, and he actually took my advice and went to 50 millimeter ITBs from Gen V. And you know what? He gained 34 wheel horsepower from what he had before that everyone was advising him to do. So I had experience with the 1.5 liter using 50 millimeter throttle bodies. He should do the same thing. There was no loss of bottom end. The top end gained tremendously 34 wheel on a D series. And this was a level three camshaft. I need to put that chart up very soon. You know, the gentleman was very, Scott was very, very happy to see that. So that being said, there's good opportunity there. So I hope that answers your question properly. How many more questions do we have, Ari? We have about five more questions. Five more? Okay. Five more, we get to meet the builder of this awesome car, which I know you guys have been waiting for. He'll talk to us all about it, which I'm very excited. 800 horses. I think it's sick. It's beautiful. It's like taller than my city here. It's so awesome. Anyway, okay. So, yes, Ari. Question from Adam Bendov. Adam Bendov. 
What do you think is the best way to build or tune naturally aspirated engines for the best balance of performance and efficiency without adding force induction or electric power? By choosing the components properly, by making sure that all components work hand in hand. You can just randomly slap things together. The camshaft has to match with the headers, with the intake manifold, with the exhaust manifold itself, um, with the port, with the valve train. Everything works hand in hand. And if you don't know what to do, you have experts like ourselves who will be more than happy to point you in the right direction. And also, being able to use a proper dyno and a proper tuner to tune. Being that you have access to any dyno doesn't make it right. I'm not a huge advocate of remote tuning. You just cannot optimize items remote tuning. It's just not possible. You may be able to get AFRs, which by the way, car to car, some cars like 13.1, some like 12.8, some like 12.7, it depends. Your field takes that, and when it comes to cam timing, it's impossible to optimize remotely. So you need access to a dyno, one that allows you to do partial throttle tuning, and you will be able to have a very, very successful project. I could spend a whole hour just telling you how to put an NA engine together, but we don't have that opportunity in the scope of what we're doing today. But if you need assistance, write in. Ari and I can get back to you and be able to point you in the right direction on what to choose. We just need to know what you're doing with the car and what we need to do. Um, what you need to do with it. Um, I don't want to help you, I should say. So I hope that helps. Sab says, we want Mike. I don't know what that means. Oh, Mike. Oh, Mike the Builder. Oh, he's coming. Sounds good. Yeah, he's coming very soon. No worries. Okay, Seth. Yes, sorry. Question from Brad Flannery. Brad, okay. Have you ever considered working with a new eco-diesel or any diesel applications for that matter? And if the flow design difference of air into the diesel motor is the new challenge? So to answer your question, yes, I have thought about it, but no, I have not had the opportunity. It would make things much easier for me if I had a partnership with one of the OEMs. So if we do tend to gel any kind of relationship with uh, the guys from, from uh, VW, that may come very soon. But I can give you a little bit of hint. Um, our partners over at American Honda are playing on with diesel technology. So very soon we'll have it, but it's something that's not on my radar this particular quarter. Hello, SM. Good seeing you. Good seeing you indeed. Okay. Another question from a sacred mark. Okay. Is the Cayman built on the standard 3.4 flat 6? Yes. The Cayman that we have that is very popular within the facility, Twin Turbo Cayman, is built on an M97 engine. Bone stock M97, but it won't be stuck for long. It's coming out soon with a fully sleeve block, trump pistons, rods that we haven't custom made and all the good stuff. So it should be very nice. Hey, thanks so much, NGU. Appreciate that. Um, options for a swap with Sirocco, that is not my scope. I do not have any experience with that at all. So I'm so sorry. I wish I could point you in the right direction. Another question from Marcus Vin12. Marcus Vin12. Is there any particular engine you're curious to build? Yes, there is. I'm curious to build the V10 that's in the 5th Gen Viper. I feel there's many opportunities there. Even testing factory engines, there's a lot of power left on the table by the factory, by FCA. And I feel I'm going to fulfill that challenge extremely soon. So stay tuned for some great opportunities there. I was going to say LS Swap at Zephyr, but I don't want to piss people off. I think I already lashed like, yes. Or 1J. I'm surprised you didn't say 2J or 1J. And let's start the world, eh? Sounds Either good. Engines. Sounds good. And how are we doing so far? Two more. Okay. Gma Cuddy. Okay. Any internship opportunities at your company? Yes, there are plenty of internship opportunities. We always explore that. And many interns come here. They have a great opportunity. And get set up with many of our partners as well, especially in the OEM market. So by all means, write to us as lab, L-A-B, at bcmo.com. Send in your resume. And we'll be more than happy to bring you on board if you meet our criteria. So I hope that happens. That, that helps quite a bit. Uh, AJ's like two Jay-Z, he's smiling. <laughs> bad influence, AJ. All the way from the UK, being a bad influence. Okay. 
Our last question comes yes. from KJZ Wynn. KJZ Wynn, okay. For your next project, possibly a 944? I don't have any 944 plans short term. So, and I've been getting a lot of demand for that, but I have so much on my plate. I need to focus on these five bills. And you never know, never say never. So there's an opportunity, you know, an opportunity. Odyssey engine what? Um, no, I don't have a UZ. So fuel up UZ, I like UZ engines from Toyota. Those are very good. The Odyssey engine has a factory J35. And that being said, it is one that we've fully built. And she's been very, very reliable as we tend to overbuild all our engines and stuff and trickle that technology down to you guys. So without further ado, I believe, is Mike available by any chance? Mike? Hey, he's here. So, guys, you guys get to meet Mike, correct? Okay, you guys get to meet Mike, and I'm going to get a chair for him, okay? Or for me, or whatever you need. I was giving this chair warm for him. Have a seat, have a seat, Mike. Sit down. So, guys, this is Mike. So, Mike, we are here. We have our podcast up going on live, and we'll be able to put that up on iTunes and so on and so forth. We have YouTube guys over here, and we have all my fans here from all across the globe. So, Mike, say hello to everyone. Hey, guys. So, Mike is the one who built this awesome monster back here, 800 horsepower, awesome Mercedes-Benz, 4x4, correct? Uh, it's a G63. G63, and because it's a G63C, so I want to even to share with you guys some insight about it, and if you guys have any questions, he's the one here to ask about. My man says, hello, Mike. Everyone says, aloha. So they're from all across the globe. So tell us a little bit, Mike, about this beautiful, beautiful machine behind us here. Okay, so this started off as a 2014 G63 chassis, and uh, my client basically wanted to convert it into a convertible, basically, uh, you know, a crazy Jeep Wrangler. Uh, on top of all that, we added all the accessories that come on the 2016 uh, G-Wagon 4x4 squared. So we added the carbon wide body fenders, you know, the LED lights. We lifted it 8 inches to match the same height as a 4x4 squared. So basically, you're looking at a 4x4 squared, but with the bigger G63 chassis. And we have a question I see here from Madman HWC. He's asking, what's the torque numbers on this? Do you have that? Uh, the torque number is right around 700. So 700 foot-pounds of torque, 800 horsepower. This thing is like a torque monster. It's freaking awesome. He said, Rich, Kevin said, Rich, rich people's problems. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you're being very naughty. I know where you live, Kevin. Keep it up. But, you know, this is really a beautiful vehicle. So I see that this is not a typical G-Wagon. It's, it's devoid of a roof. It's like a... The top's missing. So, because tell us a little bit about that and the interior. I, you know, I see some nice accoutrements there. Tell us about the interior and what you did so far with that as well. Uh, so the entire actual roof was cut off from right at the bottom of the windows, from the front to the back. Uh, went back and just built up the body and built it to where it all looks factory, as close to factory as possible. Um, the interior actually is completely OEM. We did build an eight-point roll cage uh, that is removable, but essentially, you know, safe enough if we had any issues. But yeah, we, we built the full roll cage for it. Uh, we built the full suspension for it, and you know, basically everything that would like, you know, back up the looks of the car. Well, Fabian is asking: Is this conversion a cheaper route than buying a four by four square? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something like this, you know, out of the box would be around seventy-five k. So 75K, not bad, not bad whatsoever. And you know what's cool about this? Like today's sprinkling a little bit and he drove down here. Very kind guy. He's actually from back east, which is crazy. He came by here to meet with us. But he has this very nice cover in case you're experiencing some not so pleasant elements, which is very nice. He drove this thing across country. He's hardcore. So this is this goes along the lines of what we believe here at BC Moto. It's a car that looks apart, has the power, and it's hundred percent drivable. He drove from the East Coast down here. Charlotte, North Carolina. How does everyone know you? This is so great. He's like a popular guy here. He's from, yes, he's in Charlotte. Absolutely. So, which is really great. He said, plus the cost of the car. He's asking. 
Plus the Galaxy Club, yes. yes. And mm -hmm. what kind of cards could you explore this beautiful blessing with? Does it have to be a late model G-Wagon? Is it an early one? What, what, what G-Wagon could a client have to do this beautiful thing? So ideally, any G-Wagon will work. Uh, it's probably one of the oldest chassis that Mercedes makes. You oh. can build one that's a 2000 chassis or 2014 or even the new chassis. You know, a lot of the parts are interchangeable from the older years to the to younger years. So you can essentially make any of them look just like this one, even if you bought like a 99 model. Wow, nice. See, there's some great questions here. There's a gentleman by the name of Bag Lunch. He's asking, did you guys develop a custom axle setup or did you use the Mercedes-Benz portal axles? So this is actually the factory axles. Uh, that was one option that we could have taken. Uh, the portal axles are uh, usable, but we just built the full suspension instead to save cost. If you wanted to convert the portal axles for this car, it would be around 30000 alone. So you have bespoke components, which are very reliable as well. And if we have Zephyr here, is asking, wait a minute. So you can use a 2018 G-Series? Could, yes. You can the, cut up anything you want, ideally. <laughs> there's the answer. Hell, service asked a question about the van behind us, top speed. I haven't explored that, but I know that I believe um, when they did it, took it to top gear and they did a slight uh, airplane or airstrip run, I believe Rutledge got it to 150 miles an hour, which is amazing because this thing is, that thing is a bit of a barn door. It's not the most aerodynamic car in the facility here, which is pretty interesting. Um, Steeper is asking, is it uh, automatic or stick shift transmission? I think I know the answer to that, but what is it? It is automatic. Okay. Yes. It's automatic, so very easy to drive. You can drive it, girl can drive it, it's really nice. You know? Now they're saying, I need a 2018. <laughs> See, you're causing problems for me already. I should get a 2018 and have him it up. Hey, you never know. I've never been a Mercedes guy, so maybe he is the bad influence I need. So you never know. Is the interior stock, baby, is that? The entire, the interior completely stock. Yeah, the front windows actually roll up, the back windows have been shaved off, but otherwise the interior is completely stocked and fully functional. There's no lights on the dash, you know, there's no, uh, no warning issues when you fire it up and the car is completely, you know, drivable and, you know, just like factory. I see the interior, I see that some, the seats, is that an original factory seat or is right. that modified? This is a factory design. It looks really interior. good, it's yeah. really, really good, really good. No MK2, we're not going to put a VR6 in it, no, <laughs> that's not where I do that. No yeah. VR swaps on this one. It's not really, no bad, it's not really a very expensive conversion because, you know, we have opportunities where we partner with other companies that charge 200000 300000 for conversion. So this is actually a very cost-effective opportunity to have a very unique bespoke vehicle. And, of course, as you mentioned earlier on, the 4x4 from Mercedes is a lot more expensive. How much is a, like, a car that, I wouldn't even look this good, but the 4x4 that we talked about earlier, how much is a 4x4 squared MSRP is, is $250,000. So imagine that, $250,000. So you get a car that anyone down the street can purchase, but this is something that's unique, bespoke, and he's proven it firsthand by coming here that this is a car that can be driven and driven hard, which is great. Um, am I, is he going to be our fastest car? I would love for him to be, you never know. So right now, the network, the studio that put together the show for Netflix is trying to get funding for it. So once it gets approved, I'm sure to come to us as well because they have showed interest about our story being so great. And I'll be more than happy to get Mike involved. This would be an awesome car to have on that show. It will freak everyone out. Uh, the new truck night across America. New truck night. Is that a show, truck night? I'm not familiar with this. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about it either. No, no, Zephyr, we really appreciate the questions. I mean, it's not very often that we get someone like Mike here, so that's really good. Usually we, we're out at companies, but to have someone, a builder, a fellow builder come here, appear, that's very, very appealing. So don't feel bad about asking questions at all. But he says, sorry about the quick fire questions, but can you do bespoke interiors? Like maybe change the interior and make it look like the top S-Class, or maybe even a Maybach. Can you do that? Sure. Yeah. 
There you go. So your wallet is your limitation, you know, by all means. What do you need to do to be on fastest car? You want to join? It's up to the students. The students have to choose you. So it's not something where we have, we can recommend people, but ultimately the production team chooses what cars. It has to be something that's very, very interesting. Uh, you're close captions. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was even possible, but thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Saab Story says, lift a VW Mark I VR6, 8 inches. Once you lift 8 inches. This guy, whoever this is, he knows a lot about mine. <laughs> so to, just to give you some insight, this vehicle is lifted 8 inches. And he can go 10 inches, but the client for this car specifically recommended something that's 2 inches lower. So he did something very unique for the customer. So, so he can he make it this garage. So he can fit his garage. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I knew there was a reason for that. AMG love. Absolutely. Very, very good. So Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share with the team prior to us departing? Anything you'd like to share with the audience by any chance? Uh, Maybe how they can contact you. Sure, you can nice. contact us at uh, Instagram page is yourwise underscore performance uh, or connect us directly at uh, info at yourwise.com. Yes, yourwise. So we can't forget that yourwise underscore performance. They have an Instagram feed here by all means. Um, am I going to race with iBop or maybe just show show if go? I don't know yet. So I may be going there. There's an 80% chance. I mentioned that earlier on. And I may be there. But if I'm there, I'll be there to just play with the Odyssey. Agree, very cool. Yeah, that's cool. They, they, Mike them and his team can build something to your budget. That's not a challenge whatsoever. Um, he has your following. You have his following, for sure. Okay, sounds good. So, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time out of your afternoon from all across the, board, the globe. Some guys are in California, some guys are back east, late in the evening. Some people, it's nighttime in Europe. So, I really appreciate you joining us. I saw quite a few of you from Brazil as well. Thank you so much for joining this afternoon. It's so kind. Mike, to say thank you for answering his questions as well. We really appreciate that. Um, yes, you can definitely write in, and I can send you messages if you can find him. Mike's IG is Euro... Eurowise underscore performance. Eurowise, like wisdom. Eurowise underscore performance. You cannot miss it. Yeah, have a great afternoon, everyone. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Four in the morning over there. We're in the Philippines. Thank you for joining us. There's a lot of enthusiasts. We move a lot of product in the Philippines, too. So thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Sap. Good seeing you. Thank you. Enjoy, guys. Provide some feedback, and I look forward to seeing you and talking to you next week, Tuesday. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Cool. 538.